Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Dr. Luigi Gioia, who's a lecturer in systematic theology, spiritual writer, and research associate at the Von Hugel Institute of the University of Cambridge. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for tuning in today. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm glad you're joining us for today's episode. If you're a longtime listener, thanks for your continued support. It means so much. If you have not done so already, if you wouldn't mind leaving an iTunes review and rating, only if you like what you're hearing, it would be much appreciated. In today's conversation, I speak with Dr. Luigi Gioia, who's a lecturer in systematic theology, spiritual writer, and research associate of the Von Hugel Institute of the University of Cambridge. Luigi was a monk and lived in Italy for years before heading to Oxford University to obtain his master's and doctorate degrees. And he's fresh off his latest book, Touched by God, The Way to Contemplative Prayer, we discuss a lot more about this book as well as one of his other books as well. And I'm excited for this episode. Luigi is a really great guy who brings years of wisdom and experience into, into his life, um, both as a monk and, and now uh, this practice of contemplative prayer um, and, and to think about prayer in a different way. So I'm going to turn it on over to the conversation with Luigi. It's a pleasure to be here and to um, talk to you today. My pleasure. So I know that you're joining me today from New York City uh, but yes. and, and doing a bit of a tour in the United States, spending some time here. Um, but yes. you're, you're based over, it sounds like, in the United Kingdom. Is that correct? In the United Kingdom, in Cambridge. In Cambridge. Yes, in the University of Cambridge, yes. Awesome. So for, for folks who may not know a bit, um, a bit more about your backstory, would you mind sharing a bit of... Uh, your bio in terms of where you grew up, uh, your, your childhood, and uh, I, I guess a bit into your faith walk and how you landed uh, at the University of Cambridge. Uh, well, so I, um, I am Italian, uh, as my name <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly shows. Yes. And I, um, I was born in the south of Italy, uh, near a city called Matera, uh, which is now uh, has become the European capital for culture. This is the city where uh, a lot of films like um, Pasolini's film on the Gospel of Matthew was shot because mm -hmm. it's a beautiful, beautiful city. And, um, uh, and I, so I grew up in, uh, in the south of Italy um, if, in a family where uh, I had you know, a very strong contrast between my mother, who's always been a very religious um, a woman, and my father, who is to this day the most anti-clerical person I've ever met in my life. Uh, so I was kind of alternatively um, under the influence uh, either of my mother or my father. So either, you know, through bouts of, um, of devotion and piety or rejecting everything altogether. And um, there's been a period in my life when I was between probably 16, uh, 15 and 17 where I, um, I became an atheist, a militant atheist. Um, and I would really kind of uh, read books that would confirm my narrative, um, you know, that religion and Christianity was wrong and everything. 
Um, and at one point, uh, you know, I always do things as um, seriously as, as possible. I decided that the best way to disprove Christianity was to read the Gospels and to find arguments against uh, God in, mm-hmm. uh, in Scripture directly. Um, and uh, as I say often, this was the greatest mistake of my life um, because um, actually starting reading the Gospels, I was immediately fascinated. There was something that really um, um, attracted my attention, and I soon forgot my initial intention of finding, you know, the um, um, kind of the incoherencies in, in the text and so on and so forth. And I was, uh, I mean, almost almost immediately, I started feeling a voice talking to me uh, through these words, through Scripture. And I don't know, I can't remember how exactly, but you know, by the end of, of this reading of the Gospels, which me probably a week, I, I, I was praying. I was talking to, to the God who had spoken to me through these, um, um, through these verses, through Scripture. So this is a bit in, in terms of this conversion I had when I was uh, 17. And immediately I, I felt called to give my life to God. Uh, which um, very quickly took the form of uh, joining a monastic community um, in uh, in the south of Italy, uh, and that's that was the beginning of a journey that occupied almost 20 years of my life. So I was um, uh, in very in various monastic communities in Tuscany. In then I was in France for many many years, and then in Italy again. Um, uh, and I lived as a monk, um, which means that I spent most of my time praying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, during a period of my life, I was in a very, very strict community where we didn't go out. Um, we were silent the whole day. We prayed seven times a day. Um, and, uh, and that was a very formative time of my life. Um, it was a very, very intense period. Um, and then uh, what happened was totally, it was totally unexpected thing. Um, the, my superiors decided to send me to, to do a doctorate um, in Oxford. Um, so I was in Oxford in between 98 and 2003, for five years, um, to do a master in philosophy and then a doctorate in theology on St. Augustine. And after that, I started teaching theology in several places, so in France, in Milan, and then in Rome for, for seven years, and, uh, and now in Cambridge um, in, in the UK. Mm. Wow. So I know that you mentioned prayer was very profound and a starting place um, through reading scripture and getting into prayer yes. and then ultimately which led you to a, a monastic life for some time um, which i think is uh, fairly unfamiliar maybe for some of the listeners and for uh, christianity i think in the united states it's not as emphasized um, can you can you share a bit more into just a, a brief introduction into the um, monastic life or, and really just the uh the, the focus of, of, of this community? So monastic life has always wanted to be uh, a Christian life, nothing more than a Christian life, mm. but um, unified around uh, prayer mm-hmm. uh, and around um, um, having an attitude towards uh, life and things which is respectful and which recognizes God's presence everywhere, mm. Mm. Uh, not only in people, but also in, uh, in work, 
uh, also in nature, uh, in architecture. Um, and one of the consequences of this is that monasteries become very often a place of beauty, um, um, architecturally, artistically, uh, in terms of um, a relation to nature. Places where also things are very, very good. I mean, food is very good, for instance, mm -hmm. because food also is taken seriously. Um, and uh, for instance, um, monasteries are the place where all the best wines in the world started. I mean, champagne was discovered by a monk, mm -hmm. which seems a contradiction, but it's part of the same attitude which um, tends to um, uh, to um, to pay attention to things, to to see the beauty of God in creation, absolutely everywhere. So it's a, it's a kind of uh, it's a life which is focused on uh, God but not in a in a mono monothematic way so it's by no means just you know being in silence and praying in a church the whole day uh, praying in a church i mean but also working uh, and also um studying uh, and welcoming people and doing spiritual guidance and and, and counseling um, so all these things i was um attracted me very much to this kind of life and and i really shaped me uh, fundamentally. Mm. And I can say that my books on prayer mm. are really uh, the result of this experience and um, are a way of trying to make this experience available to everyone, even if um, they cannot go into a monastery mm. or cannot become monks, because mm. I mean, people have to live and mm -hmm. have to work and have their own lives. Yes. So that I want to transition into your um, your latest book, Touched by God, The Way to yes. um, Contemplative Prayer, uh, which is very exciting. So first of all, congratulations. And Thank you. My pleasure. And then um, so uh, contemplative prayer, can you share a bit more um, into the, the inspiration that that catalyzed this book, kind of what you were seeing around you? I know you've been doing some uh, doing your research at, at Cambridge, and what led you to to write a book about contemplative prayer? Well, I mean, uh, besides my teaching uh, at university over the past ten years, in particular, I've been asked quite a lot to give talks mm -hmm. um, to um, spiritual talks, spiritual conferences all over the world. Um, it it started, I mean, on. In, in a very unexpected way, I was first invited, I think, to Korea and China, and then it was Philippines, it was Canada, um, uh, Australia, and um, and with different kind of audiences. And obviously, one of the things uh, I shared, these were motivational talks, um, talks that would help people, um, spiritual retreats, as they are called, would help people to um, focus on what is really essential in Christian life and rekindled somehow the fire of faith and and love and desire for God. Um, and I realized that whenever I shared um, my, my, my life of prayer and what um, I discovered through praying, uh, which I thought was quite quite simple. I mean, I really had never thought very much about it. But the moment I started to talk about this, I saw that people were generally touched by the experience and um, they were, um, this helped them in their life of prayer. Mm. So after I gave these talks for a number of years, 
I felt that um, it would have been good to not just to because with talks you can reach only a limited number of people um, to start writing mm. these um, conferences, these talks down. So the first book on prayer, which I wrote last year, called uh, "Say it to God," uh, is partly half of it is the is the um, some of, a lot of these talks put, put together, and then I added um, several other chapters to to make a book. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and that book was chosen, uh, incidentally, and also again unexpectedly, as the Lent book um, for 2018 by the Archbishop of Canterbury for the Anglican Church. Uh, and, and I had a lot of feedback from um, really I mean, kind of re- retired people or, or people in all conditions and in all uh, ways of life who were really kind of inspired by it because they they found that the simplicity through which I tried to convey my experience uh, made prayer accessible to them. It was on the wake of this first book that my publisher asked me to um, if I could write more about it. And I thought, well, I want to, to lead people a bit further into the experience of prayer. So the first book was how to start praying. And this second book is how to go further into prayer, mm-hmm. how to um, um, how to become more aware of God's presence in our lives. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, I know your earlier book is how to get into prayer. Um, what yes. are really kind of the some of the maybe the, the starting place? What is this? What is the gap that is that takes you from that took you from this book to the next book? I know. Uh, when we think of prayer, we don't always put the the word in front of it, uh, contemplative. So, what what is, you know, how would you define contemplative prayer? That's different, maybe from what uh, some people are already doing. And is there is there anything wrong with uh, existing prayer? Kind of where have we, maybe where has our desires gone astray? So the the first book is called Say to God, and the basic idea is that um, prayer is um, is difficult. I mean, a lot of people have problems with prayer, not because praying is difficult, but because it is too easy. Mm. Uh, prayer is basically talking to God. Mm. So the moment we start telling God uh, about our lives and uh, what worries us, or sharing with Him our joys, we are praying. Uh, and it is absolutely vital that nobody should be discouraged to start praying by thinking that, oh, it is, you know, I, I need to know so much about mm. it, or so much about God, or so much about Scripture, before I can even start uh, praying. Um, so the first book was a way of reassuring people that um, entering into prayer is really something um, as simple as, or as fundamental in our lives, um, or could come as spontaneous to us as, as, as talking, breathing, living. Mm-hmm. Uh, this second book is, um, is a way of trying to help people who have started to pray um, to pay attention to what happens to them when they pray. Mm-hmm. Or people who have started to read scripture to pay attention to what happens to them when they read scripture. Contemplation uh, is a word which is not found in scripture but belongs to the tradition of um, um, all spiritualities and all religion and all, I would say, even aesthetic experiences in, in the world. So we talk about contemplating a painting or contemplating a landscape. 
just to say that the moment we take enough time and we pay enough attention, we see things we would not have seen normally mm. uh, because we were either busy or worried or distracted. Mm. So fundamentally, contemplation is paying attention paying attention to what happens when you are talking to God, mm. what happens in you when you are praying, what happens to you when you are reading scripture in a prayerful way. Mm-hmm. And the main argument of the book, the second book, is to say that, well, actually, if you pay attention to what happens in you, you will feel that you are touched. Touched in the sense um, that we are touched by, uh, in ordinary life, you see, if you read a poem you like, or if you read a novel that um, that becomes engrossing, engrossing, captivating, you are touched by it. Or you hear a speech and you know there's something that, that strikes you, you can say you are touched by it. So just in the same way, we don't need to be physically in the presence of someone to be touched by him or her. Um, we can be touched through words, we can be touched through memories, we can be touched in, in a variety of other ways, mm. metaphorically. Um, and the same thing happens in, in relation with God. We don't see him. Uh, we, God is invisible. Uh, we have never seen him. Uh, and yet he finds ways um, of reaching out to us. He finds way of making his presence felt. Uh, he finds ways of touching us, mm. um, which... Uh, however, require us to be to become a bit more contemplative in the sense of taking a bit more time uh, and paying a bit more attention to what's happening whenever we pray or whenever we read scripture. Mm-hmm. And I I like how you broke down your book into the first section is feelings, and as you mentioned, the the experience or the the touch um, can uh, can manifest in different ways. And I know that uh, you were speaking on this awareness and one of your chapters titled mindfulness, you, uh, you explain your unexpected finding or usage of this word in the Christian lens or the Christian meaning. I know it typically might have a, uh, you know, the, a lot of folks may say they're spiritual, but not religious. Um, and that might be a word that would be used mindfulness. Um, but c- can you explain a bit more how you, how you see this, as uh, maybe an act of responsiveness or awareness when it comes to prayer? Well, one thing is that as Christians, I think we should be uh, not afraid of acknowledging uh, everything which is good uh, in the world, uh, whether secular world or other religions Mm -hmm. or any other spiritual tradition. And we have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that in terms of spirituality, there's a lot going on out there. I mean, in other religions or um, in other in other spiritualities, um, and and one of the things that the world is discovering today is even the secular world is mindfulness, which I understand as as being mindful of things, as something similar to what I was describing earlier when I talked about paying attention to things. And uh, seeing uh, or perceiving uh, another dimension of reality, uh, which um, has a positive impact on us. Um, one of the greatest problems of um, of, uh, of today world is that we are 
we are uh, under such a huge amount of um, uh, information and and uh, sensations and impressions, uh, and we are constantly passing around and being pushed uh, by you know by the uh, by life that we have no time or we take no time to ever to stop um, thinking about what happens in us what we really want, what we really desire, um, what uh, makes us happy, what makes us unhappy, and so on and so forth. So mindfulness in general is um, is just slowing down, paying attention, um, and trying to, um, to be more centered mm-hmm. in our lives. And this is something which I think uh, is not different or radically different to what happens in contemplative prayer. Um, with the exception that what happens in contemplative prayer is that this is not just the result of me um, stopping, of me paying attention, but it's also the result of um, the moment I stop, I discover a presence uh, in me or a presence in scripture when I read it that speaks to me and the presence, which is the presence of God, that speaks lovingly to me. And, uh, and if I really listen, um, the voice I listen to is a voice that, that, that really seems to answer to my innermost desires, to that which seems to give meaning, the meaning I need for my life. So there is a, this is why I see a continuity between the mindfulness which you know um, other spirituality of the secular world uh, um, cultivates and um, the contemplative tradition of Christian spirituality which unfortunately is a bit has been is a bit lost um, today today mm-hmm. even in Christianity we are much more proactive we mm-hmm. think that uh, it is a matter of institutions is a matter of evangelization you know in a mm-hmm. proselytizing way or is a matter which is you know it's okay but we tend to be, the model of Christianity we tend to promote today is a model which is very secular in the sense of being uh, justifying its existence by the amount of activity we have, whereas um, Christianity, for Christianity to spread, uh, it, it needs to go deeper into its own roots. And this is what prayer, and contemplative prayer in particular, uh, is meant to um, foster. Mm. Yeah, the, the, uh, the way that you're explaining that, it makes it, uh, it's a different way of thinking about depth and faith. Um, and I think a lot of times, or maybe, you know, my own life and some people's lives, we like to focus on, as you said, being proactive and really speaking at and, and making sure our, our requests are known or our thanks are known. Um, but it sounds like this is more of listening in. You know, the, the, the scripture that comes to mind, it's, you know, speak for your servant is listening. Um, and I think more about this, this mindfulness, just really this awareness of feeling God's presence everywhere, um, which I think is something that we, uh, we, we, we often forget or we maybe don't give the same attention to um, throughout our days and throughout our, our weeks. Yes, definitely. I, um, I mean, the first commandment of, um, it's quite interesting in, when you read the Ten Commandments, is that uh, the beginning of the biblical passage is Shema Israel, is listen Israel. Um, and and it can, there is a sense in which 
even before uh, the what we consider the first commandment, which is worship um, your God, etc., um, etc., et the first injunction or the first uh, thing God asks to us is to listen. Mm-hmm. And listen is something, uh, when I talk about contemplation, one of the ways in which you can describe it is listening, uh, but listening not just with your with your ears, but listening with your heart, uh, listening with your with your body, listening with your eyes, um, um, which is you know heeding, paying attention, uh, and so on and so forth. Mm. So, so even if the word contemplation seems to be a bit esoteric, the reality is is uh, at the heart of Christian faith, biblical mm. faith. Uh, which is that of um, uh, faith comes through listening, through mm. paying attention, uh, to being there to let God talk to us. Mm. I want to move forward into your uh, into the next section of your book, um, and you decide uh, to focus in on John's gospel in the middle section. I wanted to know what made you uh, decide to look at this account to explore as the way to uh, contemplative prayer. Well, John is the um, is always been seen in spiritual tradition, Christian spiritual tradition, as the um, the contemplative um, par excellence. Is the is um, is the the disciple who um, uh, was close to Jesus uh, during the Last Supper. Uh, is the disciple who um, had his um, uh, head near the heart of Jesus, mm. uh, which is a way of expressing the, the fact that he was uh, listening to God's heart. Um, and uh, when it comes to the gospel itself, um, God or Jesus um, is presented in two ways. He's presented as logos, as word, and he's presented as uh, sarks, which means flesh. Now, this, um, this is always a bit difficult, and John's Gospel is considered very often the most difficult Gospel, but what these two words mean is very simple. When uh, John starts the Gospel by saying God is Word, what he wants to say is that God is eager to talk to us, wants to engage in a conversation with us. And uh, John's Gospel is the Gospel where you have these very long conversations of Jesus with people, uh, with Nicodemus, with the blind man, um, with the um, the woman who has been caught in uh, adultery, uh, with Mary Magdalene, with Thomas, and so on and so forth. So we see uh, the longest speeches or the longest conversations in Scripture between God and humanity are found in John's Gospel. So we are given a, um, a portrait of God as someone who wants to talk to us. And then flesh means God wants to touch us. Why has God wanted to become, uh, to take flesh, so to become one of us, to um, to dwell among us? Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is because he wanted to touch us. Um, to And this is what we see Jesus doing in John's Gospel when to heal the blind man, he touches his eyes. And we see that in many other miracles. Um, so... The, the Gospel of John is the Gospel that shows the extent to which God wants to talk to us and to touch mm. us and, uh, and makes us, helps us to understand that the way to be in relation with, the, with God is letting him talk to us, 
and letting him touch us. But to do this, we have to listen to him and we have to expose, expose ourselves to him uh, through reading scripture and through um, mm. taking times of prayer. Mm. And um, in, in particular, as, as you move into one of your other chapters, struggling to see, I was thinking about this, um, this path. I, I know one, one feeling may be that it's easy or prayer is easy, but then as you, uh, maybe as you voyage and as, you're, as you take on in your quest, there can be some, uh, some, some uncertainty, some struggle, and some, maybe even some doubt. And you uh, open up in, the, in this chapter with the psalmist insecurities with surely God is good, um, but it was something that they were that they were struggling with to to admit um, or to say. So, how do you come to terms with the struggle of the psalmist, the, the psalmist, and, and then really the path to prayer for for, uh, for followers and believers? So you mentioned the Psalms, and um, and um, it is very evident. In- my book that John's Gospel is one of the major inspirations because there is mm-hmm. a section which is devoted to it. But mm-hmm. actually, the Psalms are also just as important as John's Gospel as an inspiration mm-hmm. for my book. But they they kind of they are throughout um, uh, in, in all the pages of the of the book really. Uh, and as a monk, I prayed with the Psalms every day for you know for for, for basically most of my life now. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about the Psalms is um, that, in particular this psalm, um, is that um, struggling in prayer is something which is, um, which is not seen as uh, exceptional, uh, it's not something which is seen as the sign that there is something wrong um, in, in the way we pray, but it's something that happens in life. And the good thing about the Psalms is that we are shown what happens when we struggle in prayer. So particularly in this Psalm, what you see is that um, struggling is okay as long as we don't give up. Mm. Um, struggling is not, um, we should not see struggling as the sign that something is going wrong in our prayer. But struggling itself is a way of praying. Um, there is another image which also speaks a lot to me, and I mentioned this in the third section of my book, which is the the the, um, the, the scene, the biblical scene in which Jacob fights with God. Uh, the, he fights with an angel, but it becomes clear in the passage that this angel is God. So there are times in in our lives when we we have to fight with God because. Um, the way things, um, the way our lives go, uh, can become so um, uh, so difficult, so painful. Uh, the the difficulties we have, the the, the trials we go through, um, can become so painful that it is totally understandable that we attempt to think that God doesn't care about us, that God is absent, or that He doesn't exist that we have been tricked into believing in him or, or when in reality doesn't exist or that um, God doesn't really care for us. We have been told that God cares for us, but you know, how can we reconcile things that are happening in our lives with an idea of God or belief in God caring for us? So whenever we are in situations in which we are tempted to doubt or tempted to um, not to believe in God or to think that even God doesn't care about us, the important thing is, is, is not 
just uh, giving up in frustration, but um, but really crying this frustration to God, um, transforming transforming this this frustration into prayer, and fighting with God. Um, so if I have something, if I'm disappointed in God, I have to tell him. I'm disappointed in you. If I think that he's abandoning me, I have to do the same thing as Jesus did, which was cry this abandonment to him and say, you know, why are you abandoning me? Um, and this is this is the I think the measure of the authenticity of our life of prayer uh, is the fact that we we not only we say to God the good things of our lives, or we don't talk to him only when we feel positive about life or about him or we feel loved by him, but we talk to him in all circumstances of our lives, just as we do in any other relationship. You know, a relationship with people we love is made of the moment in which we we get on well and we tell to other people, to the, the person we love, I love you. But it's also made up of the moment in which we fight mm. uh, and we and we um, we criticize each other or we um, we tell each other things that you know make us suffer or are frustrating for us, and then we forgive each other. Uh, so just as in, other, in any other relationship, the moments of um, tension are integral part of being a relationship, just as the moments of you know of, of joy and love. So with God is the same thing. Uh, and then the key thing in this case is just not not to give up. Uh, mm. It's just keep 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 kind of talking to Him. Mm. So it's, it's staying committed and um, still looking to be in this place of proximity and getting getting uh, this closeness, as you mentioned. John's John's head was closest to to Jesus's heart, um, so looking to really uh, lean into this this type of posture. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I was thinking, is it possible for a contemplative prayer to take shape um, in community? Is that possible, or is it? Is it something that is really individual and each person is going to be on their own quest? So there is one, one fundamental thing is that um, the way I describe contemplative prayer in my book is, mm. um, is something, contemplative prayer is something that um, uh, is, is based on a prayerful reading of scripture. Now, this prayerful reading of scripture is something that happens in community. Uh, fundamentally, so each time we go to church, we read scripture together, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously it would be better if the reading of scripture, which we do in common, is is uh, then uh, we continue to do it in private when we go back to our to our homes. But mm-hmm. the foundation of uh, of prayer and contemplative prayer is the reading of scripture we do in mm-hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. Then the second way in which um, uh, the social aspect of prayer is that is that praying because it is you know I, I, we just talked about the struggling in prayer the difficulties in prayer um, uh, needs people to support each other in praying um, to encourage each other in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that um, this this is fundamental. I mean, uh, being friends with other people who pray, meeting regularly with other people who pray, or meeting together to pray, not only for you know for the usual Sunday service, but also on other occasions to take times of prayer together. Uh, it's really very important for us to. Um, um, to feed a life of prayer, to motivate us, because we need to rekindle uh, our motivation um, constantly. 
Um, mm. And also, when it comes particularly to contemplative prayer, there are, I've seen, I've met many organizations uh, who try to foster uh, particularly silent prayer and uh, meet together on a regular basis uh, for times of silent prayer um, together. Obviously, there's always more than that. There's always um, reading scripture together. There's always uh, a moment in which we, people share um, the aspects of their lives of prayer. But then there are moments in which they, they pray silently together. And mm. I've done this in the past, and I have to say that it is incredibly powerful mm. um, to be in the same, in the same space uh, in silence, um, mm, mm, mm. with other people trying, you know, trying to pray in this way, uh, it's really um, it's something which is unique. So, however important and fundamental it is to pray personally, as Jesus says, in in your own room when you pray, mm. go into your room, uh, close your door, and and talk to the Father, and the Father who is in the secret will will listen to you. Um, it is also, I think. Um, different uh, and and incredibly uh, powerful to do the same thing with other people um, uh, in the form of mm. silent prayer. Mm. That's great. So really maybe the starting place, or as you're saying, the starting place is coming from um, coming from a church community uh, or an organization and then it branches out from there and um, that's, that's, that's kind of the way of contemplative prayer. I'd say so. I mean, mm. I, I wouldn't want to anyone to be discouraged by because I mean, obviously, whenever, whenever we pray, whatever we are, whatever our lives, even if you're not connected to a community, mm. God is there to listen. Yeah. So uh, I don't want anyone to be discouraged <laughs> by thinking, oh, I don't belong to a community, or I don't go to church, so I can't pray. Everyone can pray. Everyone yeah. uh, in any moment of life. But it is true that. Um, um, to the DNA of Christianity, uh, the, the, the dimension of community is absolute, is essential. Uh, and sooner or later, um, if prayer is authentic, it will lead us towards a community. If it will, it will um, uh, lead us to want to be uh, in a community or mm. to belong to a community. Mm. So it's the, it's the path of return or coming back home. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Um, well, Luigi, it's it's been a pleasure having you on today. And final um, final question, and I wanted to ask uh, just a word of advice or encouragement for those listening, and also where folks can find you if they're interested in learning more about your books and, and what you do. So, in terms of advice, I mean, I I know it might seem quite simplistic, but I would say that I mean, just talk to God. Talk to God. I mean, uh, we um, we can do it uh, in so many. Very often, we think that you know we don't have time to pray, okay, uh, or that to pray we should be in a special place, or we have to be um, in a um, in a special mood. We have to be peaceful. We have, there's to be silence around us. And for this reason, because our lives are so busy, uh, we we often never pray. 
Now, I think that at least for me, uh, my life of prayer changed entirely the moment I discovered that I could pray absolutely everywhere. When I was in, in my car driving, I could pray. When I was walking, I could pray. Um, and, and also that I didn't need to have hours to pray. I mean, even just five minutes or three minutes are enough to pray. Uh, and that prayer was simply talking to God and telling mm. him whatever was um, uh, worrying me at that moment or whatever I was mm. feeling or just asking him for help for whatever I had to do at that particular uh, moment. So mm. uh, the moment we start talking with God, at the beginning we might think it's a bit crazy. I mean, am I talking to myself or am I talking to who? I mean, I don't see anyone and I don't hear anyone. But the moment I start talking to him uh, and talking to him, trusting that he listens to me, uh, he, God finds a way of, uh, of showing to us that he's listened to us. God, God is, is incredibly imaginative in finding ways of persuading us that he's present in our lives. And, um, and this is the beginning of a journey in which little by little, we start um, really discovering this presence in our lives and, and feeling uh, a level of, um, of love, uh, of consolation, uh, and of desire for him, which changes our lives. I mean, I've seen this happening in my life, but I've seen this happening in the lives of many, many other people. So my fundamental advice would be just you know, talk to him um, whenever, wherever. Um, and you will see that this um, will take care of itself, will really uh, help you to change your lives. Um, and in terms of finding me, I mean, there's a website. So um, um, and if you just Google my, my name on, on Google, uh, you, you are directed to my website. And there, there are my publications, my books, and all the links uh, to get in touch with me. So I'd be, I'd be obviously pleased to... Um, to answer directly to anyone who writes to me. Great. Um, well, Luigi, again, thank you so much for spending time today and joining us on the Guys Like Us podcast. And there's one quote from your book that I'd like to share as a, as a final word. Um, this is coming from chapter of Embracing History. Contemplative, yes. contemplative prayer is the quest for a knowledge of the true face of God, which is the only way to authentic self-knowledge. It plunges us not into the quietest passivity of, but into history. Looks not for peace, but for fire. Is not afraid of suing the bastard or refusing any domestication of the divine. It humbly consents instead to look for God right in the mess of life and of history. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you as well, Tyler. Thank you.